Um, welcome to the first job readiness workshop hosted by the National Federation of the Blind of California, San Fernando Valley Chapter. My name is Raquel Desipera. I am the secretary of the chapter, as well as um, chair of several committees. And I want to welcome all of you, and thank you all for coming. We really appreciate it. Um, this is the first event of this kind that our chapter had hosted, so we, we are really very thankful that you guys uh, made it here. Um, supposedly, I have someone who will be co-hosting with me this morning, but um, he's not feeling well. He's uh, it's Julian Vargas, so hopefully he will feel better later. Um, I also want to uh, take this opportunity to acknowledge a few people. We would like to thank, first of all, um, the Therapeutic Living Center for the Blind um, for letting us use this facility. And we would like to thank Diana Dennis for, for helping us, <laughs> for coordinating everything with me. Um, you know, the, the setting up of the room and, um, you know, uh, they also donated this, you know, this room and the donuts and coffee for us. So let's give them, um, <laughs> so thank you, Diana. Um, Diana, would you like to tell us a little bit about what TLC is? Hi, everybody. Um, so I'm Diana Dennis. I'm the director of children's programs here at Therapeutic Living Centers for the Blind, and we are a nonprofit serving people with developmental disabilities and blindness. And we serve children birth through five in their home and helping families um, understand the diagnosis and getting started. And then we also have an after-school program serving young children as well as a day program with ad for adults and an after-school program for those adults who are in transition between school and adulthood, and we also have a residential program. Uh, we have 12 homes here in the Valley. Uh, we have a few here on campus, and if at any point anybody wants to come and have a tour, you can always give us a call, and that's, that's who we are. We were started by parents, and it was started by parents who had 18-year-old um, children who were transitioning into adulthood, and they needed to find a place to help their children. So um, that's it. Thank you, everybody, for coming. We're really excited to have you all here. And this uh, uh, Reseda Women's Building is just a part of the campus where we do, um, provide services. So. Thank you, Diana. And um, the next thing we would like to give thanks to is the um, Air Soleil. Uh, Joe Jerka is here. Um, Aerosole is the Audio Internet Reading Service of Los Angeles. Um, they are an online, I mean, a service online where um, they help blind, sight impaired, reading impaired, and low vision people. And uh, the mission of Aerosole is to provide podcasts or audio recordings of news, news information, um, entertainment that is otherwise inaccessible for us, you know, uh, by print. So today is being recorded by AirCLA, and later on uh, you will be able to access it online, access the recording online and listen to it. 
um, the website is www.airsla.net. That's a r a i r s l a dot not not dot net. I'm sorry. Dot o r g. <laughs> it's a nonprofit organization. I'm sorry. Um, and like I said, you know they have uh, lots of information in there. They, uh, they have podcasts of um, lectures and the medical, you know, the latest medical um, research. Um, there are newspapers and magazines there, like uh, Oprah newspaper or Oprah magazine, LA Weekly, and. Um, Maybe some of the men will, will be interested. There is a Playboy magazine being read there. <laughs> All right. But, but it's, unfortunately, pictures are not being described. So they're just reading the articles, the interesting articles there. But they have really good materials. Um, and, you know, of course, workshops like, like this one is being, um, recorded. is being recorded. <laughs> and <laughs> so anyway, um, and then also, I'm sorry, I want to thank all of the people who had volunteered to help today, um, including Diana's coworker, Espy, and then all of the volunteers who had been helping people register, uh, ushering you in. Thank you all. Um, so with that, I am going to introduce the president of the San Fernando Valley chapter, Robert Steigel, to give us a few words. Good morning, everyone. Uh, okay. As Raquel said, I am the president of the San Fernando Valley chapter of the National Federation of the Blind of California. I am also the first vice president of our state affiliate um, and serve in different capacities um, on our state level as well. Um, I wanted to give you a little bit of background. The National Federation of the Blind was organized in 1940. At that time, there was uh, seven states that were represented to organize, uh, one of them being California. And the person who organized the organization is was Dr. Jacobus Tenbrook, who felt that the blind of the nation would need a, a collective voice, uh, one voice in Congress and uh, felt that there were, were going to be issues that were going to come up that the blind would need to be represented, and that's how the organization was started. Over the years, it has grown to have affiliates in every state, including District of Columbia and Puerto Rico, <clears throat> and each state has many chapters uh, across the state. For instance, California has almost 30 chapters going from Cal going from Redding all the way down to Sac um, San Diego. And, of course, we are the, the Valley chapter. And many people come to our chapter from different areas, such as San Gabriel um, uh, area and parts of Los Angeles, um, because there are chapters that are in Los Angeles, but they meet during the week. So when people are working, they come to our chapter because we meet on the weekend. <clears throat> uh, the, the organization has many programs that take place, uh, such as this, job readiness workshops, um, basically uh, things for students, such as uh, helping uh, students learn to 
advocate for themselves. There's um, we we help people with knowing their rights for the Department of Rehabilitation and how they can how do you get their their proper um, program set up for what they should be receiving through rehab. Uh, we we have events such as the Best in Tech, which is coming up in a few weeks, November six, um, which is all about technology. The NFB of California also has a convention which is coming up in Irvine next week. It's October 21st through the 24th. If anybody would like more information, you can see me throughout the day. Um, I will be here. We do have some pamphlets uh, which are in print um, at the registration table about the NFB of California as well as we have some contact information in Braille. Um, <clears throat> and I'd be happy to give people more information later if they'd like it. Um, and so that's a little bit about the National Federation of the Blind of California. <clears throat> so I'd like to uh, introduce our first speaker of the day. Um, the, this person is a rehabilitation counselor, and I've known him for a few years. Um, he has his degree from Cal State Los Angeles, and he is very much... Uh, he, he works with uh, with all of his clients and is very um, he, he he tries his best to to help the clients and, and get what they need and help them get to to the schools of their choice and the programs of services that they need so with that in mind please welcome Casey Cook well thank you very much and uh it's great to be here. Um, you know, a couple weeks ago, uh, Raquel invited me to come talk to you all about the Department of Rehabilitation and uh, specifically Blind Field Services, which is the division that I work for. Um, I just want to kind of give you guys a little bit of background about myself and um, Department of Rehab, Blind Field Services. Um, what we are, what kind of services we have to offer, uh, what you need to be in order to qualify as a client, etc. cetera. Um, I've been with the department going on my 12th year, and uh, before that I was a client of the Department of Rehab. Um, I got my master's degree in rehab counseling at Cal State LA, and that's how I ended up here in Los Angeles. Uh, before that, I'm from the Ventura, Santa Barbara area, and I got my bachelor's at uh, UC Santa Barbara. And um, I used to uh, work as a massage therapist, and I worked at uh, Ventura County Medical Center as a physical therapist assistant. And, um, and then before that, um, I uh, graduated from uh, high school in Oxnard, and I went to school for the blind in Fremont for about eight years. So. I've been uh, connected with the blindness field for quite a long time, so it's, it's been exciting to come here to L.A. and work for the Department of Rehab and um, be involved in, in this field. Um, the Department of Rehab is, is a very large agency, about 2,000 employees statewide, um, but in blind field services, we're kind of a specialized uh, division within the agency that was founded about eight years ago due to legislation that was passed in California because it was realized at that time that blindness is kind of a special disability. That as blind people, we need 
different kinds of services than individuals with other kinds of disabilities. So most of the Department of Rehabilitation is geared towards serving people who have more, you know, mild disabilities like a back problem or maybe uh, they have some sort of orthopedic ailment uh, that allows them not to be able to walk well or use their hands in certain situations or they might have a learning disability. So they might need some some minor reasonable accommodations that uh, just require some fairly inexpensive services. Uh, I believe I heard that the average generalist, that's what we call the other disabilities outside of blindness or deafness, the generalist case, the average case costs about $1,000 in order for a counselor to provide that person with the services they need in order to go to work. In the blindness field, in order to help somebody become trained and, and provide them with all the technology that they need in order to go to your job, especially if they're totally blind and a braille reader, the average is probably 20, 30, 40,000. So as you can see, uh, the services are much more intensive. So that's how we ended up with Blindfield Services. And Blindfield Services is um, a division within a department that covers the entire state of California. There's about 65 of us counselors. And here in the Los Angeles area, there's about 12 of us in the LA County area. And I happen to cover Pasadena, Glendale, Burbank, and, and some of the San Fernando Valley area. And so what we do is uh, we can provide vocational services. Now, vocational services is a pretty wide umbrella that would encompass any kind of service that you can justify that would assist somebody with a disability and preparing for going to work. And in order to qualify for Department of Rehab Services, you must be at least 16 years old and you must be able to work legally in the United States. So you must either have a green card or work permit of some kind. Because every service that we provide is justifiable in terms of whether it's going to assist that person in going to work or return, retaining the job that they already have. So in Blindfield Services, we provide some specialized training for people who are blind in order for those of us who are blind to increase our independence, to be able to get around independently so we can provide orientation mobility training. You know, somebody who teach you how to use a white cane, um, and you need to learn how to use a white cane before you can get a guide dog, uh, and that's how you would be able to travel independently. Because obviously, most of us as blind people are not wealthy enough to hire a personal driver. So you need to be able to learn how to get around on access or public transit, taking the bus. And of course, once you get to where you're going, you need to be able to get from the bus stop to the building and navigate, you know, through a college campus or your work sites. Orientation and mobility is an important service. And then, of course, as a blind person, you need to have some way of organizing information. So that's where Braille comes in or electronic uh, information gathering, you know, a note taker of some kind or the use of, a, you know, a, a digital recorder 
some way of taking notes when you're out and about and retrieving that information later when you need it. So when you're in a class, being able to take notes. Um, we, so we can provide braille training. We can provide um, computer training, learning how to use a screen reader such as Window Eyes or JAWS or screen magnification programs such as uh, ZoomText or Magic so that a visually impaired person can use a computer. With almost every job now requires the use of a computer. So computer literacy is a big thing, and that's a, a major skill that we provide. Um, independent living skills. Obviously, uh, as a blind person, if you're going to get a job, most likely you're going to have to relocate to take that job, and you're probably going to be living on your own at some point. So you're not going to have anybody around to take care of you, so you need to learn the skills that any other person would need to know, like how to pay your bills, how to do your personal budgeting and financing, and um, how to organize your household and uh, grocery shop and, you know, devise a menu and cook and clean, etc. So that's another skill that the Department of Rehabilitation can provide. Now, all these skills can be obtained by attending some of our specialized residential programs. And then here in California, we have four residential programs that provide specialized training for the blind. And we also sponsor training to three out-of-state programs, actually four, four out-of-state programs that provide the same kind of immersion training. The reason we call it immersion training is because as a student, you go and you live at this facility for at least four to seven months while you're learning all these skills, the travel skills, the computer skills, the independent living skills, and the Braille skills. And um, these programs are all over California. We have one here in Los Angeles. Uh, there's one out in the Riverside area two up in the Bay Area, and then the National Federation of the Blind has three programs around the country that we can also send students to. Uh, there's one in Colorado, Minnesota, Louisiana, and then the Lions World Services for the Blind has a program in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. And then, of course, uh, for, for individuals who are deaf and blind, we can use the Helen Keller Center which is in uh, New York for a similar kind of training, a specialized training for the deafblind, such as um, learning tactile sign language, um, special travel skills for the deafblind, uh, using communication cards for communicating with the public, etc. So, so altogether, um, that would be about nine different residential programs that we work with. Um, so I want, to, I want to back up a little bit and talk about um, the process of the Department of Rehab and how we um, conduct what we call the rehab process. The rehab process begins with determining whether someone is actually eligible for our services. In other words, we're a program that is available to an individual as long as they can meet three criterion. One, they must have a physical or a mental impairment 
which constitutes a substantial impediment to employment. Secondly, they must be able to benefit in terms of an employment outcome. So in other words, you need to be able to benefit from going to work. You know, some people, maybe going to work wouldn't be such a good idea. You know, it would be contraindicated by their health. And then thirdly, the individual must be available to participate in the program. So, you know, obviously, if you're living in uh, Eureka, California, and you apply for services in Los Angeles, you're not really available for the program, are you? So, um, so those are three criterion to be eligible for the Department of Rehab. And then next, we have what we call, we have a scoring system to determine whether we can serve someone. So in other words, let's say that they're eligible for our services, but we're not sure whether we can serve them right away because, you know, we have limited funds and we have to, by federal law, serve our most significantly disabled clients first before we can serve individuals with lesser disabilities. The idea being that we want to try to use our funds to serve the people who are most in need. So we have this scoring system, and, you know, it's kind of complicated. But the bottom line is if you are receiving SSI or SSDI, then you're automatically eligible for rehab services, and you're automatically servable. And since most people who are legally blind who aren't working or are not working enough to replace their SSI or SSDI are receiving one of those two benefit programs. And most of our folks, we can find them eligible and serviceable fairly easily. So if you go and you apply to the Department of Rehab and you're on SSI or SSDI, if you bring your counselor a copy of your uh, letter from Social Security Administration that shows that you are receiving SSI or SSDI or a copy of your bank statement that shows that you're getting direct deposit from the Social Security Administration. That's all we need to determine that you are eligible for rehab services. So now you're eligible and now you're servable. And the next step in the process is to develop what's called an individualized plan for employment, IPE. An IPE is a contract between the state of California and the client as to what the vocational goal will be. So in other words, we have to agree on a vocational goal, such as teacher or um, you're going to be a massage therapist or a rehab counselor, you're going to be a social worker or, you know, an academic tutor or maybe you're going to go work for the business enterprise program, one of those vocational goals. So we choose a vocational goal. Once we agree on a vocational goal, then the next step in the plan is to determine what are going to be the steps for achieving that goal. So if, you're, if you just graduated from high school and you know you want to be a teacher, obviously some of the steps are going to involve things like going to college, getting a degree of some sort, enrolling with disabled services at the college, obtaining appropriate technology so that you can do your schoolwork, um, registering with uh, some sort of work-study program so that you can 
get some work experience doing a volunteer job. Those are all the steps of your plan. So we would outline the steps on your IPE. Next, we would determine what services are going to be provided and how those services are going to be funded. So the services, so once we determine your vocational goal and the steps, now we have to figure out what services you need. And, and going back to what I was talking about before, if you need orientation and mobility training to learn your way around the college campus or how to use a white cane, that would be a service. If you need a computer and you need JAWS in order to use the computer, that would be another service. If you need to learn how to use JAWS, you would get what we call rehab technology training. That's another service. If you need um, part of your tuition paid because you don't qualify for you know, enough scholarships or grants to pay for your tuition, we can step in and, and pay for it. That would be another service, books and supplies. And obviously you need to buy textbooks and you need supplies such as um, note paper and uh, CDs for your computer, flash drive, you know, things like that. Those are things we can provide. If you need Braille technology, like a Braille note, uh, PacMate, or um, the, what's the new one, a Sense, uh, Voice Sense, um, you know, we can provide that. So we can provide all these wonderful services so that you can achieve your vocational goal and accomplish the steps of your plan. After we list all the services and how we're going to pay for them and the dates by which these services will be provided, the next part of your plan would include how we're going to evaluate your plan. By federal law, each plan must be evaluated at least once a year in a process that's called the annual review. And I explained to clients, the annual review is kind of like your cell phone contract. You know, your cell phone contract every couple of years comes up for renewal, and you decide whether you want to stay with that provider or move to somebody else or make some changes to your plan. Well, the IPE annual review process is similar. At the time that we do your annual review, we looked at how you've done for the last year. How have you progressed in school, for example? What were your grades? Are you on track with your plan? What services have we provided you in order for you to achieve the goals that you have so far? And what kind of changes are we going to need to make for the future? Are we going to need to add some services or delete some services? Or maybe the vocational goal needs to be changed. Now you started out thinking you were going to be a teacher, and now you want to be a chiropractor. So, obviously, you're going to have to go back and change your vocational goal from one thing to another. And obviously, if it's a drastically different vocational goal, then that's going to involve different services. So we would indicate all of those in the annual review and add an amendment to your plan. So in other words, when we develop an individualized plan for employment, it is not written in stone. It's a a malleable document. It can be amended and changed as you go along, as you learn more about yourself, as you figure out what you're good at, what you're not so good at, uh, or maybe your situation changes, your vision gets worse or it gets better, or um, 
you you know have other health factors that pop up that that complicate um, what you're able to do or what you're interested in. So the document can be changed as you move along through the process. And once you are getting close to completing the steps of your plan, the final phase in the rehab process is finding a job. That's what it's all about at the Department of Rehab. It's getting you ready to go to work and getting a job. And hopefully when you get a job, you'll make enough money that you'll no longer need your SSI or your SSDI or you'll need less of it. And you'll be making money. You'll be able to, you know, move up to a better standard of living, pay more taxes, and in a roundabout way, you pay back the system for the assistance that we provided you. And also, if you go off of SSI or SSDI, one of the benefits to us is that the Social Security Administration reimburses us for a certain amount of the services that we have provided. It's not, not everything, but it, it's some of it. As they see the value in, in us assisting people and going to work and, and getting off the benefits system is ultimately a savings to the taxpayers. So once we get to the place where it's time for you to get out there and start looking for a job, what we do is we can set you up with what's called a job developer. A job developer is someone who concentrates on helping people find jobs. In other words, they're in touch with employers. They know all the tricks of the trade, how to prepare a resume, how to start to market you to potential employers. And so they'll start practicing mock interviews with you and get you used to talking about your disability with an employer and how you can do the job as a blind person. Um, you know, if you, if you need to disclose, and you know, some people who have a mild visual impairment can pass for sighted in some circumstances, and so they may not need to disclose that they have a disability during the job interview process. But if you have, a, if you have a, an obvious impairment like myself, well, that's not going to work. So you need to be able to go into a job interview situation and be able to talk to the employer proactively about how you, as a blind person, are going to be able to do this job, either with special technology or reasonable accommodations. And that's where the job developer is added to the team and working with you and your counselor and practicing for those interviews and finding where those job leads are and you're tweaking your resume for each potential uh, job opening and getting you psyched up for the interview and, you know, helping cope with the frustration of the job search process. That's one of the most difficult things that any person will ever do especially as a person with a disability, is to get out there and look for a job. If you think it's hard for sighted people to try it out for people with disability, because you're going to run into a lot more rejection than even a, a, a person without a disability. And I think it was uh, determined by one job search expert that the average person goes on about 40 interviews before they find a job. It takes about an average of nine months. And this was back when the economy was good. 
And we're talking about able-bodied people here. So I would imagine that, uh, you know, in the current economy, looking for a job without a disability probably takes more like a year and a half now. And if you're someone with an obvious disability, it will take you even longer than that. So it can be a discouraging process. And that's where your job developer and your counselor work together with you to work through that process of, of helping you keep your spirits up and get out there pounding the pavement with your resume in hand and going to job interview after job interview until we get you into a job. And then once you're on the job and you're working for at least 90 days and everything is going well and you have all the technology you need in order to do the job, then we close your case and we call you a success with the understanding that should you need anything in order to continue to do your job or to advance in your job, you can come back to us for what we call post-employment services. And post-employment services is basically a category that we use to be able to justify providing someone with services without having them reopen a case to keep their job or to advance in their job. So it can be something like uh, an update to your screen reader. You know, suppose you start out and you're using JAWS 11 and then JAWS 12 comes out and you, don't, you no longer have a, uh, a service uh, maintenance agreement or a software uh, maintenance agreement and your employer is not able to afford, you know, the um, the upgrade to your technology, then we can step in and do it. As we understand that providing accommodations to individuals with significant disabilities, and blindness is, is a significant disability, is very costly. And so the Department of Rehab is available to step in and use our funding streams that we get from the federal government to provide these kinds of services so that a person who is blind can work and be productive. So that is, in a nutshell, the rehab process. Um, you know, um, blind field services were, um, you know, scattered all over California and uh, just about every area. If you call a rehab office and ask for the nearest blind field services counselor, you should get referred to that person. We have uh, nine managers for our program that are scattered through California. And each of those managers is in charge of between six to eight counselors. And at the very top of Blindfield Services, we have a program manager that works out of our central office in Sacramento. And she um, oversees the whole program. That's why they call her the program manager. She's in charge of all 65 counselors and all nine of our managers. Um, and if needed, she can travel throughout the state. Um, so, and um, if you ever have a problem with the rehab process, you're always welcome to call a manager and, and have them look into your situation and see if they can resolve it. I want to wrap up my talk and then open it up to questions um, by talking a, a little bit about the dispute resolution process and rehab. Now, obviously, rehab can sometimes be a contentious process. I remember I, I was talking about 
how in the beginning of your plan, an individualized plan for employment, you first have to agree upon a vocational goal. Now, sometimes that can be the trickiest part of the plan because we're trying to determine what can you do, what do you want to do, what is our, what is our commitment going to be in the process of getting you to that goal. And sometimes there can be disagreements as to what services you're going to need in order to achieve your goal. Now, you may think that you need a service and your counselor may say, well, I don't think you need that. And so you'll have to make a case for why you think you need that service in order to achieve your given goal. Now, the counselor can deny you the service, but you have the right to appeal it through our dispute resolution process. And you have three levels of appeal as a client. And they are as follows. You can request to talk to the counselor's supervisor and ask them to intervene and see if they agree with the counselor or disagree with the counselor. And if your if you're, uh, matter is not resolved there, then you can request what's called a, an administrative review. And that would be requested from our program manager. And she would look into your matter and determine whether she wants to uphold the supervisor or overrule the supervisor. Okay, then the next level in the dispute resolution process is kind of a two-pronged process. You can file for what's called mediation, and mediation is where the department pays for an impartial mediator. It's an administrative law judge who will meet with all parties involved and try to work out a resolution between the parties. I've been involved in uh, three mediations in my career, and it can be a very uh, useful process sometimes uh, when matters get a little contentious. So, and then lastly, if you, if you don't um, receive a, re a resolution from any of these processes, you can file for what's called a fair hearing. A fair hearing is a more formal hearing before a board, and the board is made up of the uh, Rehabilitation Appeals Board, and those are members that have been appointed by the governor, and what they do is they travel around the state of California to hear cases that are, are brought by clients against the Department of Rehab. And when you file for a fair hearing, the burden of proof is on you to show how the department was wrong in the decision that they made. That can be a pretty challenging task, and in order to assist you in that process, you can receive services from what's called the Client Assistance Program, CAP. The Client Assistance Program is also a statewide program that is usually housed at our independent living centers. And here in the San Fernando Valley, our CAP program is at the um, Independent Living Center of Southern California in Van Nuys. And they have folks there who specialize in helping clients of Department of Rehab with resolutions or problems with their counselors or with, with the uh, Department of Rehab in general. So if you needed that service, that's where you would go. 
And if you needed to, you know, file a fair hearing against the department, they would help you prepare your case. As the burden of proof is on you, the sheriff's department was wrong in the decision that they made. Now, once the board hears your case, it takes them about uh, 45 days, I believe, to come up with a decision, which they will deliver to you in writing as to whether they agree with you or not. And uh, so, you know, that's the dispute, the dispute resolution with the department. Um, and all of this process is explained in pretty good detail in our consumer information booklet, which is available in alternative format. Uh, we have it in electronic text and uh, can be obtained by email. If, if anyone wants it, we also have it available in Braille. Uh, so, and of course, in any office, any rehab office that you walk into will have this booklet available in print. And I think it may be available on our webpage at uh, www.dor.ca, as in California, .gov, as in government. If you go under forms and publications and look for our consumer information booklet, I think it's in there in Word format or rich text format. So, and that explains our process as well. So with that, I'd like to open this up to questions. Many of you want to ask about our process, our services, um, specialized services for the blind, etc. She lives in Carson, uh -huh. and she'd like to know which office she would go to. Yeah, Carson. Um, I think that's closest to our Lawndale office, which is um, on, um, that's right next to the 405 freeway. Yeah, right, the Lawndale office. Yeah. Uh, will we pay for a doctorate program? She has her master's in psychology. Do you know the only way we can justify a doctorate program is if that's the minimum requirement for the profession. So in other words, according to our regulations, we are only required to provide training up to the minimum requirement for that job. So to become a teacher, for example, all you need is a bachelor's degree and a teaching credential, not a master's degree. And so, you know, if you're going to be a clinical psychologist, then you need a doctorate degree from an accredited school in order to get a license as a clinical psychologist. But if you're working as a counselor, then you only need a master's degree. So it really depends on the job that you're aiming for, whether that is the minimum requirement for that job. And of course, yeah, we could pay for a doctorate if it is, in fact, the minimum requirement. You know, to be a, an optometrist or a chiropractor, you need to get a doctorate degree in that field because that is the minimum requirement for that job. Um, if you could repeat this in the microphone, okay. the, this lady would like to know, she has heard from a source that she needs a second master's degree mm -hmm. 
in order to fulfill her job goal here in California. She's licensed in uh, Florida. I see. Yeah, you know, every situation is is particular to that individual. So, you know, I'm not really prepared to talk to any of you about your particular situation. I think we should hash that out in front of the group. But, you know, I think in, in broad, just painting with a broad brush here, the department and our regulations do allow us to be very individualized. That is why it's called the Individualized Plan for Employment. And our services can be tailored to that individual. However, we do have to be careful with our funds because we do have limited funding and we're trying to spread it around as much as possible. And if someone comes to us and already has a boatload of training, you know, they already have a master's degree, it's difficult to justify why they would need more education unless it's in a field that they paid for on their own and in something that there's no market for anymore. Um, so, you know, the counselor has to go to their supervisor and make a case for why you would need these extensive services if you already have a lot of education. But like I said, every situation is different. Our services are individualized and our regulations do allow for a lot of leeway and how we assist someone in going to work. Um, he would like to know how you foresee the future of the funding of the program for the state of California right now. How would you perceive the funding of the, the program for the future? Um, well, see, the Department of Rehab is mostly funded by the federal government. Um, and so we get about 80% of our funding from the feds. And the way the system is set up, the state has to spend a certain amount of money on rehab or our program gets cut, it gets punished by the federal government. It's kind of a complicated formula. But the bottom line is, um, you know, one advantage that the federal government has over state governments is that the federal government can run a deficit when it wants to because it can always borrow money from other countries and print money when it runs out. So, uh, you know, it's just, <laughs> you know, we can't do that in the state. So uh, I think that because of the fact that we are federally funded, um, we should be okay. We should be okay uh, for the future as far as our services. I think that, um, you know, in a worst-case scenario, what may happen and what is set up in our regulations to happen when we start to run out of money is we start closing our categories. And what I mean by that, I remember in my opener I talked about how after an individual is determined eligible for services, we have a ranking category that we use to figure out who is the most significantly disabled because we want to serve the people who have the most significant disabilities first. And, and um, by that ranking system, we can close categories. So in other words, right now uh, we're serving category one, category two, category three has been closed for a number of years. So if we start to run out of money, we'll close category two uh, and only serve people in category one that, that qualify for that ranking. 
But the good news for blind people or if you're on SSI or SSDI is that you're automatically going to go into Category 1. So because blindness is considered one of the most significant disabilities. So blind people essentially will always be served. Uh, there, there will be closing doors on a lot of other disabilities before we get around to closing them on the blind. He would like to know how he obtains his study materials, his reading materials for classes, if it's not supplied by the school. Well, how to obtain accessible reading material from the school? Well, there's several ways you can go. Um, you know, it depends on whether you need it in Braille or electronic text. Um, but I think as, as a blind student, you need to have as many avenues open to you as possible. Uh, so uh, I think that you should have a scanner or some sort of OCR device for uh, scanning your materials. I think that you should be using Bookshare to download books that are available already scanned. I think you should be using Recordings for the Blind Dyslexic when they are available. Um, I think that uh, if you're attending a community college, the Department of Rehab can help you with a reader if you need it. Uh, so there are a lot of avenues for getting that to print as a blind student, and the more of them that you have available to you, the more likely you're going to be successful. You must have many tools in your tool bag for accessing print. Okay, I think uh, his question was, um, how does he, how, does he just go to his counselor and tell his counselor that he, want, he needs a certain book and the counselor will handle the paying for that, that book? Well, it's really, um, when it, you're at a community college? Are you at a community college? No, I'm not at LAUSD. Okay. He's at LAUSD. LAUSD. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. Okay, the school system. Um, yeah, you know, that's something that should be provided by the school district because when we're working with someone who is still connected with the K-12 school district, all services are to be provided by the school system until graduation because, you know, the school system is already getting a tremendous amount of funding from the federal government already because you're a special education student. So we expect them to provide the services. So that would be something that um, should be written up in your IEP. And, um, you know, I'm not sure about your situation specifically, but I know that it should be done. I mean, it was done when I was in school 20 years ago, plus years ago. So um, if, if it was possible then, it should be even more possible now with the technology that we have. So somehow you have to make it happen. Go ahead. Okay, what I'm hearing you ask 
is you would like to know at what point you are eligible for assistive technology. Did you hear that question? Yeah. Okay. So at what point are you eligible for assistive technology for a job or for, for what purpose? Okay, he wants to know at what point is he eligible to get assistive technology at home in order to do his work. In order to do, okay, so what point you're eligible for assistive technology at home in order to do your job? Is that, is that the question? And school. And school. Okay. Well, like I said, every service that we provide must be justifiable in terms of achieving a specific vocational goal in accomplishing the steps in your plan. So if you need the technology in order to accomplish the steps of your plan, such as schoolwork, you know, writing papers for a class or uh, doing research on the Internet, uh, reading your textbooks uh, with VictorStream or, you know, scanning your books with a scanner. Obviously, you need that technology in order to complete the steps of your plan. So therefore, you should have that technology while you're in school or when your plan starts. And, you know, how I indicated that in your plan, it says what services we are going to pr provide so assistive technology should be, if appropriate, under those services and the vendors we're going to use to buy those, those um, that technology and the dates by when it's going to be provided. That should all be in your plan. So if you have a plan with rehab, you need to check it to see what it says in there. And if it's not in there, then work with your counselor to amend your plan if you can justify the technology. Go ahead. Probably that would be the last one. Do DOR reimburse employers for hiring blind employees? The question is, does DOR reimburse employers for hiring the blind? Or do they give them some type of case back? Does DOR reimburse employers for hiring the blind? Well, um, we don't reimburse employers for hiring the blind. There are some tax credits out there for hiring employees with disabilities. Um, however, we do have um, a mechanism by which we can make it easier for employers to consider hiring someone with a disability or somebody who is blind through what's called our on-the-job training program. And what that is, is we can develop a contract with an employer that says, essentially, if you, if you hire this person, we will pay for all or part of their salary to start with for the first three or four months. And then, assuming that you still like the employee and you want to keep them, then you take over from there. So then the employer, you know, gets a little bit of an inducement uh, to offer that person a chance, and we'll also pay for the assistive technology or split it with the employer. I had a situation where I had a guy who's working for an insurance company, and, uh, you know, they were able to 
provided him with some of the technology he needed, and we did some of it, and we did an on-the-job training, and it looks like it's going to be a success. So, you know, we can do this process, the on-the-job training process, and I guess in a way that kind of operates as a reimbursement. Okay, well, it's been great to talk to you all about this process um, and rehab and what we do. If anyone wishes to contact our agency, you know, just look up any rehab office and call them and ask for the nearest Blind Field Services counselor, and they should refer you to that person. Well, good luck to you all. Okay, did you say